Amen. I'm probably supposed to, some of my time is probably already gone, right? Okay, that's all right. Well, we're going to relax. Am I going to relax? That's the big question, right? Okay, we're just going to, today, finish off what we started tomorrow, yesterday. And so turn again to the book of Acts. And we're not just going to finish off. I think before we get started, I'd like to make a, a few little comments on the previous message. And I know that'll steal from my time. But we're not here about this message, okay? We're here about you and about hearing from God. We're not here about me preaching on the book of Acts. And so I'm going to scrap one of my messages, okay? Because we're not here about that. We're here about God meeting with you and somehow you coming to the place of understanding the book of Acts better. Now, we looked at a big outline yesterday. We don't need this one quite yet, brother. But that's okay. We, we looked at a big outline yesterday, the typed outline, right, right here, this one that this sister has here nicely filled out. And I, I want to ask you something. Did, did that just suddenly happen? Did that just sort of um, just, uh, I, I took out my pen and all of that just happened? What do you think? No. no. Young man. I'm not talking about myself now. I'm talking about you, okay? That came from weeks and weeks in the book of Acts. Now this morning as we review, we're going to look at a different way of outlining the book of Acts. That outline came as I had one question in my mind. It was, what is God saying in the book of Acts? What is it that jumps off the page? You see, when you read Paul, you can read most of Paul's epistles, and they're actually quite simple. Because he's got one main thing, usually, that he's got to say. Now, Romans is a little more complicated, but basically, most of his other epistles, you can read through a few times, and I can come to grips with what is this all about. But the book of Acts is not only the longest book in the New Testament, it is also the most complex book with the most information in it of the whole New Testament. And by the way, Luke and Acts, I read somewhere, comprise one-third of the New Testament. So one-third of the New Testament was written by a man, Luke. So it's pretty important that we try and get inside of Luke's heart and mind, isn't it? If it's one-third of the New Testament, don't you think? But Luke didn't tell us what he had in mind. Paul does. Peter does. James does. Luke, in neither of his books, told us what he had in mind. So a third, you know, sometimes I'll preach and I'll say right off the bat, okay, sisters, here in one line is what I want to say today. And yesterday, it was, God is at work. Theophilus. 
God is at work, right? Luke doesn't do that. I had to discover, young men, that that's what Luke was saying. Do you follow me? And that meant being immersed. Now today we're going to look at a little different outline where we're going to look at the, um, just by way of review, we're going to look at who the main characters were in each chapter we looked at yesterday and then in the ones ahead. Now most outlines you look at of the, of the book of Acts, they'll say uh, Acts chapter 1, whatever, chapter 2 this, chapter 3, Peter. Chapter 4, um, chapter, chapter 4, Peter and James. Chapter 4, uh, Peter and uh, Cornelius. And they'll do that kind of thing. Well, did that just tell you what the, the book of Acts was about? It didn't, did it? It helps you understand what that chapter is, where it is, and and yesterday, some of you might got a little lost, because I got a little lost, okay? <laughs> but I hope we got that God is at work. But, so we, we get these little handles to try and get a grip on all the information in this encyclopedia called Acts chat, the book of Acts. So now, it takes work to get in there. One of the questions I asked as I was going through the book of Acts and I came up with, I was going to preach the opening message and three others. And I was asking God, what jumps off the page? What jumps off the page? And it takes a lot of work in Acts to find out what jumps off the page. Well, fairly quick it comes that there's the work of the Holy Spirit. We see the, the koinonia and the fellowship and we're going to talk about that on the last day, tomorrow, we're, uh, next day we'll talk about the Holy Spirit in Acts, okay? And then we'll talk about the fellowship in Acts. Um, but those things, they jump off the page. But why did he write it? What was it he was trying to get across to Theophilus? You know, that took time. And so this whole outline, as you look at it, of that, that going through that book, was the result, young men, of many, many hours and many, many pieces of paper saying, what is it that God is trying to say? And so this week, it's not about a sermon, okay? I want to help you to be able to better understand. One thing is, I, I want to inspire you to also ask as you go to the scriptures, what is God saying? What jumps off the page and why did God have Luke write one third of the New Testament and why did God have Paul write Romans and why while he was in a Philippian or a Roman jail did he write Philippians? We live in a computer culture. Now I'll be honest with you, I don't know all of you here, I get a little weary of what someone called computer sermons. I get a little weary of hearing people tell all about what they found when they went on the, on the website of this, who knows, some character from some place who said this about this and this about that. What I really want to know when, when, when I hear a message is, what is God saying? I want to know, young man, if you preach one day, that you interacted with the Word of God. That you heard what the Word of God said. That somehow, yes, I have... 
I have a bookshelf that would amaze most of you in this room, okay? Bookshelves with the emphasis on the S. <laughs> but I didn't spend time in them all this week except trying to deal with a lot of chronology and, and looking at some information. But I wanted to be in the book of Acts. So I'm hoping even some of these sheets, I'm going to encourage you Brethren, we're going to put some of these sheets all filled out on a table at the back later. And I'd like to encourage you, brethren, to go and fill in all those blanks there at some point. Because one day, brother, you're going to be asked to preach in the book of Acts. And not only that, but by studying some of that, you can go back. It's going to go over your head a lot of it this week. But you can go back and you can start going through and you can look for some of these themes. And we're going to talk one day about some of the themes, and I'll give you an assignment for when you go home about things you can look for in the book of Acts. But I said all of that to say a couple of things, and one of them was, we're not here about sermons in the book of Acts. One, we're here to help you to better be able to get a hold of what God's saying through this book and to study in the future. So I said I wanted to say something about the previous message. And I, I think I'd like to take 10 or 15 minutes, but I, I won't. <laughs> My dad was a doctor. And uh, uh, most doctors take two to five minutes, sorry brother, with their patient. And uh, my dad did not. He hated bureaucracy and he loved people. And he would spend at least 20 to half an hour with most patients. So all the other doctors in his clinic learned that when you have a problem patient, guess where you recommend that they go? to my dad. So my dad made a lot less money than everyone else did. Uh, and my dad told me, all these people, they come, a lot of them, he says, 90% of the people that came to me, they didn't come because they needed a prescription. They came because they needed someone to listen to them. They needed someone to talk to. And that's what David needed, wasn't it? And he talked to himself a lot in Psalms. And God met him when he talked. Sometimes we can talk too much. But each one of us can be a listening ear, can't we? Somehow, I just want to let you know, I've gone through seven very difficult years. And I recognize this is also on tape. But I want you to know the people that should have been closest to me in those years didn't know what to do. So do you know what they did? They stayed away. But there were people from outside that weren't my normal. One man who was very disapproved of in our setting called me up one night at 9 o'clock at night and said, there's some ministers here. We're having some meetings. Can we come over and pray with you and visit with you? They got to my house at 11 or 11.30. No, I think it was 10.30 at night. It was pitch black out. My wife was very tired, so I made a campfire, and we sat out around the campfire until 1.30 or 2 in the morning or something like that. And they shared scriptures with me. They, they spoke words of encouragement and exhortation and almost prophetic words for my future into my life. They sang, they prayed, they blessed me, and they didn't do anything to reprove me. To um, you know, They didn't take out the sledgehammers, what I mean. And that was the first time I felt in, a, in a, a, a lot of difficult times that somebody actually cared about me. And it wasn't my brothers. 
Someone else one night called up and said, listen, we've been thinking about you, Brother Dave. We've been thinking that if, you, we, if, if we were going through some of what you were going through, that you would have been the first one to come over and visit us. And we've taken a year. Will you forgive us and let us come over and just bless you? They also came over and we formed a circle in the lawn. And one after one shared scriptures with me that the Lord had impressed upon their heart as they were praying and thinking about me. And then they prayed for me. We were there on the lawn for two hours. I don't know what I would have done without those. So brothers and sisters, allow Jesus to be your counselor, but be a counselor to someone else. Don't be afraid to reach out in love and don't be afraid to be a listening ear. Let's pray. Our loving Father, again we're reminded we're not here about sermons. We're not even here because a book of Acts was written. We're here because we want to hear from you. We want to be changed by you who is the counselor. We want to have listening ears, but we also want to have boldness not just to speak, but Lord, we understand it takes boldness sometimes to go and minister in a situation where we don't know if we're wanted. We don't know if we'll be interfering. We, we, we're afraid. And I pray you would give these young people boldness to pastor and counsel and minister the spirit of life to others in their generation. And we know that's what you give us your power for. And we ask that you'd open us to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, God bless you. Let's, um, I think what we're going to do first, brothers, we're going to go to all the, um, I made a mistake there. We're going to go to the outline from yesterday, the typed outline. Can we do that? Typed outline, because we're going to do some review here first. Uh, well, I want the first page, actually. And then there'll be the overlay that will go on top of that. I'll need a chair here. Okay. Um, page one. Okay, I'm going to ask you as we start, as he's looking for that, I didn't have time to prepare him a lot. And then if you look for the overlay as well, we saw the other day that God is at work in a new age and a new society. Now, as we look at chapter 1 there, right beside it, there should be an overlay. Um, how many people in verse 2? There we are. Oh, no, that's not the overlay we want, need for that one. That's for later. <laughs> okay, how many people, as we are here at... Um, um, Jesus is promising his... Ha, ha, ha. No, that's for later too. <laughs> Find all the overlays and I'll tell you which is the right one. <laughs> okay. Pardon me. Uh, no, they were all kind of beside each other. They were, they were overlaid with the one they were supposed to be overlaid with, but that's okay. How many people did Jesus speak to? 
uh, uh, when he was still on this earth and he was giving some instruction and commands to his apostles? Twelve. Okay, so if you've got a twelve there, that nope, that's not the twelve yet. Uh, okay, so we're going to put right here at the doorstep of the new age that there were twelve people and the Lord Jesus, on your outline you can do that, there were twelve people there when Jesus came and spoke to them and gave them some commands about the future. Okay? Then as we move on, they are in the upper room here. How many people were in the upper room? Okay, so right here you can write, in your margin if you want, a hundred... Aha, here we go. In, in verse 115, now I want you to look at this so you see this, okay? Because we ought to search for this a little. Does everyone, everyone look at their Bible? Chapter 1, verse 15. Does everyone see there that it says the number of the names together were about 120? Everyone, put your hand up if you see that. Okay. So there were 120 people in the upper room getting ready, right? What were they getting ready for? For the Spirit to come that Jesus had said to the twelve in chapter 1, verse 2, were coming. Okay. We go on a little later, and the, the Spirit comes and falls on these 120, it seems, at some point, maybe not in the upper room anymore. And now I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 6. So the Spirit has come, and then it says, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So as we're making a, a little different outline by way of review here, we find that in verse 6, a confused crowd comes together. The, the, the buzz goes everywhere. Fire's falling. Now, we just had a very, we have had a very, very cold winter in Manitoba. It's the coldest winter since the 1880s. We have had maybe two warm days in four or five months. Uh, when I left, it was about minus 20, and that was a warm day. Uh, we have a thousand homes without water in our city because it's frozen. Um, why was I saying that? Fire. Oh, fire. One day, a two-foot-long-wide natural gas line erupted right beside a, a Providence Bible School or university. The students, all the staff was on a retreat. The students were there all by themselves. It's a very liberal college. And they all panicked when a two-foot natural gas line erupted just miles from their, 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 their university. And there's, people started hiding, and they, they thought the end of the world had come. Because fire, there was fire everywhere. And that's what happened in Jerusalem. The, the word got out, there's a fire. And there's all kinds of strange things happening. And a multitude gathered to find out what was happening as the Spirit breaks in. We saw a whole new society is, is born we, uh, but then what we find is that Peter and John, uh, oh, Peter preaches his first sermon about the crucified Christ. Now let's move this all up. Do you remember him preaching that Jesus is Lord, that he's risen from the dead? And we're going to talk a little bit more today about the resurrection. I want to emphasize again, though, here, remember, 
the fact that Jesus is risen is proven by what? What did he do, sisters, that proved that he was risen? No. Oh, pardon me, that he was exalted. He's exalted? How do they know that he was exalted? Because he sent the Holy Spirit, right. So he sent the Holy Spirit, which proves that he is in heaven with the Father. The people respond, what shall we do? Save yourselves from this crooked generation? How many people responded? Check verse 41. Do you all see there that it says 3,000 souls responded and were added to the church that day? Okay, uh, let's go on to the next page and we'll need to find another overlay. <laughs> um, this is it. Okay, we find that uh, the apostles and everybody, the whole church is together and what are they giving themselves to? The apostles' teachings and fellowship and so on. And we'll look that, at that another day. But... Um, yeah, there's two overlays there. One is, this one can go, and I want, oh, yes, that is. I'm sorry, that is the overlay I want. Yes, lift it up higher. Um, where does, this one, yeah, chapter four must go down here by where the, that's right, good. Okay, so we have, everybody is there up here, and the apostles are there. And they're just reveling in that fellowship, which we'll talk about another day. And then Peter and John, they come out and they are empowered by God. And they come up and they say, rise up and walk. They go and they, they say, why do you marvel? This isn't us. It's in his name. It's in his name that this happened, remember? Now, when we say in his name, what are we talking about? What, what does it represent when we say in his name? Under his, authority. under his authority. Under his power. Yes, exactly. And so as we go on, we see that the heathen rage, and look at chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Just trying to get you involved in it a little more here today. Now, do you all see the word Sadducees in there? It says that the, the Sadducees, as this great multitude, Peter is preaching, and he's saying, this is Jesus that's done this. And some Sadducees come along. And some Sadducees are walking through the, the, the Solomon's court and happen to hear, and, and they're wondering, what's the commotion out there? Things are a little more lively in the temple today than they usually are. And they come to investigate, okay? And, and they don't like what they see. And so they go and they put Peter and John, so we see the Sadducees and the high priest, Ananias, I think, or Anna, Annas, uh, they put them in prison overnight. And next week, next day, in, in, you see, we, we know this is still Peter and John because it's a continuation of what began up here. So the Sadducees put them in jail, and the next day, Peter speaks to the Sadducees. And again, he says, the, the name of Jesus has brought this wonderful proof that he is king. He's taken a man. Does anyone remember how long he had been lame? It, it tells you there, but I'm, I, I, don't have a, I don't know where I have it written down. 
It tells you somewhere in that chapter that he was lame for 40 years since birth. It tells you one, he was lame since birth, and the other it tells you that he'd been 40 years old. No one in Jerusalem is a lame man. So it's pretty hard to dispute. It's pretty hard to say, hey, they gave him a cane ahead of time at the door and paid him $100 to claim he got healed. I mean, pretty hard to do that with this man, isn't it? So there's a proof that's here. He says, I'm telling you that this is done in Jesus' name. And no God came to strike him down for saying that. So the authorities are powerless, as we saw. They don't know what to do. So they release them. The whole, next, in, in chapter 4, verse 23. Go to chapter 4 and 23. And it says there, and when they had heard, or verse 23 says, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported to all that the chief, all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and they began to praise God, and they talked about why do the heathen rage. And so we have this church that realizes who they are. This church that realizes that, that they are triumphant, that God has won. Now, I, I don't think they're proud about that. I think that they've just come to the place where, listen, I said yesterday, it, it's a new baby, right? It's a church. Now, isn't it, a, isn't it a baby kind of excited when it realizes, that's my dad. That's my mom there. Oh, and they look at you different than anyone else. Right, sister? You know, they, they suddenly, you know all of a sudden, by that smile they give you, that's my mom. I just realized for the first time at one week old or three months or whatever it is, that's my mom. <laughs> Well, this is the church here. It's realized. We're a church. We've got a God. He does what He says He does. Now, that, that isn't triumphant in what we have done. We're going to talk about that in a moment, realizing the resurrection power. Move that up a little more. Uh, we'll go on another day. We'll see about Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, verse 1. So we're looking at a different kind of outline you could make. Right, brothers? Um, bring this up a little higher, brother. This part, the green part, up to there. Okay, stop it right where my finger is. A little lower. Ah, good. Okay, so what we find is that the, uh, in chapter 5, Again, we find that the officials come, and let's look at it, 518. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is of the sect of the Sadducees. And so we have the Sadducees again in the high priest, and they're filled with indignation. And verse 18 says, And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison, but the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors. So the characters that are involved in this scene are the apostles and an angel. And the apostles are in prison and they are versing the Sadducees. So I am not a sports person, but in fact, recently I was in Pennsylvania and someone said during the Olympic Games, oh, 
you're rooting for Canada tonight? And I said, what? He says, hockey? I said, what? He says, you're the only Canadian that doesn't know. <laughs> well, there was Russia versus Canada. Well, here's the Sadducees versus the apostles and a what? And an angel. And who wins? They're in jail. Okay. In the midst of the controversy as they're brought out of jail, we have this thing happens. It's called the Gamaliel question. Is this the work of God or man? So another person we have factoring in and trying to resolve things. He's a mediator between the apostles. The angel's gone. The apostles and the Sadducees are left. And Gamaliel comes and takes the place of the angel and says, there's got to be a solution. Let's find out if it's God at work or if it's just these men. But because he says over and over things like this have happened and they've always gone away. Right? Did this one go away? So whose work was it? God's work. Okay, as we keep on going in chapter 6, we see that an internal relational problem threatens to undo the koinonia and stop kingdom advance. And all of you have seen this happen in your churches. You've all seen that a problem came and threatened the wonderful fellowship and revival you know. Is there anyone here who has not experienced that? That threat. You're a pretty incredible person. Or you've had a... Uh, uh, tell me where your church is. Uh, anyhow, there's the widows and deacons are the, 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 the characters in this scene, Okay. And the plot is the Jew versus the, Gen the Greek. Chapter 6, verse 1. Have a look at it there. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Greeks against the Hebrews. So have we got a church problem? Now who is supposed to solve it? The elders? The apostles? No. They didn't want to be distracted, so they appointed some brethren called deacons to take care of the problem. We're going to deal with that another day, if we ever get there. Let's go on then. So we've got Jew versus Greek again. Remember I asked you the first day, how is it that you, as German Baptists, are part of a Jewish religion? Right? Because we see here, if we put German Baptist here instead of Greek, it would be Jew versus German Baptists. And Jew versus Mennonites. And uh, the Mennonites and the, the, the German Baptists are saying, you Jews are treating us unfairly. How come you think you're the best? And they come to resolve this problem. You see, this is the problem that the whole book, one of the problems of the whole book of Acts is the Jew-Gentile thing. The Jew-German Baptist thing. The Jew-Mennonite thing. There's that conflict that's there because the Jews think that they're number two? Number one. Yeah, it's okay maybe to have a few Gentiles come to our church, but they're going to have to come Jews, right? I mean, this, 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 this is, we're not changing nothing. There's something you know about that. Okay, we get to chapter, the next chapter then. Chapter 6, verse 8. We see that of the deacons, there's a man called Stephen, a man full of faith 
and power, and he did great wonders. And in verse 11, we see that men suburned against him. And verse 13, they, they brought false witnesses against him that he wanted to destroy the temple. But what do we find here? If, so we find Stephen is the character. And then if you turn over to chapter 6, verse 54, or chapter, I believe it's 7, verse 54 now. Um, I probably did that wrong. Stephen preaches, and I wish I could go into his sermon, but we won't. Stephen preaches and pours out his heart, and what do the people that are listening do? They, they gnash their teeth at him, it says in verse 54. Do you see that where it says they gnashed on him? Ever seen anyone gnash their teeth? I mean, have you ever seen anyone so mad that their teeth are just literally, I mean, and they're vibrating? Been there, done that. Okay, been there, done that. Okay. That's what's happening here against Stephen. Okay? So what we're doing is we're painting, the, showing you today the characters that are behind this, trying to help give you some coat hangers to hang what we talked about yesterday onto. So what does Stephen meet up with? It's Stephen versus the firing squad. Okay? Stephen versus the firing squad, verses 59 and 60. And those that gnashed their teeth stoned Stephen. And while they were doing that, Stephen was calling upon God and saying, Lord, receive my spirit. Lay not this sin to their charge. And then he fell asleep. Okay, well, let's go to the next page, brother. Now, that's the end of where we were last time. What I'm going to do now is try to do a few things at once here. I'll put this up here. I think we can just leave that all up. That'll be the easiest way, right? We're going to look at the next phase here. And what we're going to do in this phase, we're going to see, number one, uh, I'm going to talk about some other things first. But when we get back to this, we'll see scene number one involves Philip. Scene number two will be Saul will be entering the picture, and then Peter will be entering the picture at Joppa. And then we'll have Peter and Cornelius in scene four. And... There was a mistake in the, in the typing here. Uh, in between here, we should go C, D, E, F, G. So this one here is, we have a, a, a doctor or doctor's assistants here, but we're going to see that Peter makes his rounds. Now, my dad used to make rounds. He used to go on house calls and do all kinds of things like that. I always remember him leaving to make rounds at the hospital every night. Well, Peter makes his rounds and he comes to Joppa. So add that in there. And um, let's see, did I get that right? Okay, put that up one higher, brother. It needs to be up here. Peter makes his rounds. So that the C is here and the D is over top of the C, and then you'll have things just right. Okay, but before we get there, why don't you just shut that off for a moment? I want to ask you a question here, and I need a watch again. Why was the gospel so violently opposed. What can you tell me? Why was the gospel opposed so violently? Because when 
Men were accountable, accountable to God. Okay. What else? It was a threat. A threat. Okay. Um, it's interesting that, uh, you know, when a lot of these people pre preached, and we even saw it in Stephen. Stephen preached, and he came along and he said to them that essentially what he was saying to them is, everything you've been wanting is suddenly here before you in this man Jesus. And he says, like your fathers, you're going to, you're going to, you, your fathers stoned the prophets and you'll stone me. That's what Stephen said and that's what they did, isn't it? And it's amazing how many sermons in the book of Acts weren't, please come to Jesus. Instead they were, your dad rejected and you'll probably reject too. Now I don't know if that's what you want to do tomorrow in your evangelism or not, or Thursday. But that seems to be, if you'll look when you get home, you'll see that, that pattern. But so there was a, a threat that was there, wasn't there? You can put that overhead up, the one that says the gospel is the good news of the power of God. Um, so it's a, uh, it's a different one than that. Yes, it's one of the handwritten ones. So the gospel, brethren and sisters, is, is like this. It's about a new heavenly kingdom and a new society in which there's the power of God there's the rule of God. There's the name of Jesus. There's the authority of God. But over here we have a totally different kind of kingdom. We have the present earthly kingdom and society that is the power of man and the right and authority of a few. A few who are at the top. It is the power of wealth and position. It is the comfort of things as they are, and the status quo. And that is, if we talked about this versus that, we could put a big VS in here. This kingdom versus that kingdom. The reality is, even though all these Jews had been longing for the kingdom, when the kingdom came, it threatened their kingdom. It threatened their earthly kingdom. It threatened their comfort zone. Well, Christ died to dethrone all these ruling principalities and powers in the world, in the United States, in your life. Christ came to dethrone every antichrist and anti-God and Babylonish power. And the gospel introduces a new life, a new spirit, a new power, a new fellowship, a new governing system, a whole new society. If you go back to that chart we did one day it, that with uh, the different uh, the timeline, we saw that God's goal has always been, I will take you to be my people and I will be to you a... Now that is one of the themes of the Old Testament. You'll find that verse repeated six to eight times in the Old Testament and I believe two times or three times in the, in the New Testament. Twice in Hebrews and once in the last chapter of the Bible where God says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and you will be my people and I will be your God. Finally! It started at Adam and Eve! 
But one day there's going to be that new paradise, that new heavens and new earth, where God's intention that he had from the beginning and the kingdom and the society that he always wanted, one day he's going to have it. Now, um, this new kingdom introduces then a change of command. And Satan resists it. He seeks, first of all, to kill the little baby Jesus right from the day he was born because he knew that somehow or other this baby represented a threat. So Satan isn't, Satan isn't hesitant about killing things in their infancy, is he? Satan somehow has an idea of this thing is not going to work out for me right if I allow this to continue. And in the book of Acts, we see the continual attempts of Satan to thwart and destroy what God begins. And we see over and over again the testimony of God winning. And God in his people winning. So the central message of the book of Acts then is that he is risen, Christ is risen, the apostles went everywhere preaching the resurrection. Now today we get so used to hearing messages about the resurrection. But in the first century it was an earth-shaking message. And Pilate and all the religious authorities crucified Jesus, but he rose and that was the message they took forward. He is risen. There is a new Lord. There is a heavenly Lord. There is a new authority. There is a new society. There is a new government. God has, is doing a new thing. That's why Peter was stoned for preaching that. Young people, I wonder, can we today say that there was a power at work in Stephen's life that was different than the power that's at work in this world here? Can you say that with a confidence in Stephen's life? Was there a power at work in Peter's life that is different from this power here? Yes. Put that next uh, sheet on the, on the, of the, the world. There's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Before we get to this sheet, I want you to know that by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was a trumpet blast and sounded into all the world was the death sentence of Satan and of all earthly powers and all kingdoms. Was sounded. And the disciples believed that trumpet blast that he is risen and that the powers of this earth and death are conquered and are no more. Now, if I had a toad here, and sisters, if a little toad came flopping, flopping along here, and would I be a giant to a toad? Yeah. Now, we might have some screaming people here, but... Um, and we do have some stream, screaming people. At well, anyhow, the, the, the toad comes along and it looks up at me and it says, Get out of my way, you big bully. I'm going through. Now, I looked at him. Oh, cute little toad. Hmm, he wants me to lift my foot. Sure. And he walks under. Now, who's afraid? Am I afraid? 
Satan came along. He said, I'm going to kill your son. I'm going to kill your son. God says, I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to let you do it. What do I do to that toad? If we've got a toad plague, if he's a cute pet, okay, but if we've got a plague of toads, what am I going to do when he says, bully, get out of the way? I'm going to let him go, and then I'm going to go, squish! <laughs> am I afraid of that toad? Can I lift my foot to let that toad go by when he threatens my life? Am I afraid? You see, death cannot kill life. Jesus said, I am the life. How can death kill life? So, we have a toad against a giant and we have Satan against Jesus, but Satan also comes against the church. Now, where do we need to be if we will stand against that toad? Here we are. We've got two worlds. We've got the world. And underneath here, you've got here we are somewhere in the United States right here. But there's two kingdoms and two areas in which we can live. And most people live here in North or South America. But we have changed the place of our residency. Here is, this is not the body of Christ here. This is Christ. I'm not looking at the church here. I'm looking at Christ. And Christ has superimposed himself over the world. And as Christians, he said, I'm calling you to dwell in me. That you are in me. That I've raised you up to, to be in me. And so the book of Acts is about the power of the resurrection that the disciples saw and they believed and they saw that toad coming and over and over we see them lift their foot and squish the toad when they're in prison and squish the toad when division comes to threaten the church and squish the toad when Ananias and Sapphira come with dishonesty and they keep squishing the toad. Because what's in them? Who are they in? They're in Christ. And what's in them? The resurrection power of Christ. And so the book of Acts is the story of the resurrection power of Christ who rose and of the resurrection power in a people. The resurrection power in you. So here is God at work. God at work. Let, let's change this now. And here's you and here's your local church. And here you are imposed in this world. And what's inside of you? God. God at work. The resurrection power of God. There's a whole new geography, brothers and sisters. It began with 12 men. But it's been advancing and advancing ever since. So I just want to ask you, did Peter know the certainty of the resurrection? Did, did James, when he was killed in a few minutes, know the certainty of the resurrection? Do you know the certainty of the resurrection? Amen.
he's risen. Okay, I want the, the chart of the, th the, the first chart of the three sections, brother. Now, as we start the next section, this is we're just ending the first section, and once you get the message of the first section, everything else comes together. So we're looking at Acts chapter 1 to 7 is what we have here. 1 to 7, you, we could actually have written that in here. The church is born. A new society breaks into this world, and it's under a new rule. It has new values. It's everything we've seen happening is happening at Jerusalem. But now we're going to go to the next section. And if you were to write something in here, it's, it's elsewhere on your, your charts. It begins at chapter 8, and it goes through to chapter 12. And these are the first baby steps of a new church. It's baby steps of, of a baby that hardly knows it, it's alive yet, but it's, it's finding its toes, it's finding its goo-goos, it's uh, learning to smile, and, and it's going forward. So let's join the life of that little baby, and we can go now to the next chart. Keep that one around for a while, uh, handy, but the next one here, and we're going to start here again. Um, Make sure the D is over the C. This D is there and we'll be okay. <coughs> We're not going to worry if we don't get through this okay. First of all, chapter 8. And it says, And Saul, verse 1, was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and, all they, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the, the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So we see the first steps of this new church outside of its little territory is to Judea and Samaria. Now, don't try and write everything down as you beforehand. Write down just what I give you, okay? So, first of all here, we find the, the ministry of Philip. Philip comes and he's preaching to the Samaritans. And so we find the scene number one, the hated Samaritans meet Jesus. Now, young man, I'm going to tell you something really interesting here, to me anyhow. As you look at this story, we find there's Simon here. Simon, the, the, the wonder worker, I'm not sure exactly what it says. He, they say, I believe he was a, a, a healing arts type person and all of this. And he sees a conjurer, he sees what's happening, and he comes to the apostles and he says, can I give you money to get what you've, get, you've got? Now one of the interesting little things in the book of Acts, if I can start in Luke actually, do you know when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, Who's the first person that met him when he went out the door? Satan. Satan met him and took him on a trip to the wilderness for 40 days, right? Who's the first person that met him as he was practicing healings a little bit later? It was an unclean spirit came up and says, What are you doing here, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are and we don't want you around or something like that. That's in Luke chapter 3, both of those. Three or four. Then we come to the ministry at the, in Acts chapter um, 3. And Peter and them, they've been preaching 
and a demoniac. Peter, he's just had his first sermon. He's healed that first man, the, the man who'd been lame for 40 years, and guess who meets him? A demoniac. And they have to deal with that. Now we're entering into a whole new phase of the, the, the work of the church, and guess what happens almost immediately is this Simon, the, the, the conjurer, whatever he's called, comes and tries to get his little finger into what God's doing. And then as we move into the next phase later on, we're going to find Paul as he takes the first step in cross-cultural missions. Do you know what happens? Elymas, the sorcerer, meets him on the Isle of Cyprus and starts blaspheming against the work of God. Every time on the doorstep of what God was doing when he poured out his spirit, Satan and demonic spirits met the new work of God. Now, I share that by way of one thing, of two things. One is we need to realize if we want the working of God, we are also realizing we are in a battle, in a battlefield. And the book of Acts shows us in no uncertain tones that there are toads that are coming along. And if you think that toad is a killing toad, if you think that's a killing toad, sisters, brothers, you're going to be afraid of that toad and you're going to back out of the way when he says, move, you big bully, instead of squish him. That's one thing I want you to know. The second thing I want you to know, brothers, is it's an incredible, exciting thing to study the Word of God and look for patterns. And one of the incredible things about it is, when I look at Luke, and I see that he talked about the enemy coming against Jesus right after the Spirit, and then Jesus' first act of ministry, and the enemy came, and then Peter's and James's first adventure as a new church and new evangelist, and Satan met them at the door with the demonic experience or attack and then their first step outside as a baby Christian in church into Judea and Samaria they're just getting out of their comfort zone and right away Simon comes along and tries to say listen why don't we join together hey buddy's right but he was a man operating under the other spirit and then they take the next step and they begin their cross-cultural world missions and immediately, Elymas the sorcerer is right there. Now, does it look like Luke? Does it look like Luke was a man who thought? Does it look like Luke had some things in mind when he wrote the book of Acts? Does it look like he was a thinker? He was a doctor. Does it look like he had some systematic... Nowhere in Luke does he tell us... He always just tells us facts. He never tells us what we're to conclude. He just takes out his doctor's pad and says, Okay, what were your symptoms? Okay, yeah, next. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Or today they punch it in the computer. And then he writes it out and says, Theophilus, here's what I found. But he does it so systematically and orderly. And that's why, brothers, we need to study the Word. Because it's exciting to find little gems like that. And when you find little gems like that, you say, Peter didn't just pick out a pen and do whatever came to his mind. When he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he knew what he wanted Theophilus to get. And the people back there didn't depend on a computer for all their information. 
They didn't have papers and overheads. They didn't have pens and they didn't have books. What did they have between their two ears? Brains. Brains. Uh, Isaiah 40 wouldn't have been any problem to them, okay? I mean, hey, psh, they learned it in their, their mama's crib or whatever it's called. So Luke was a thinker speaking to people who were thinkers. And so if we want to get hold of this, we need to also be thinkers. Okay, let's carry on here. Um, at Caesarea then, um, we see Peter makes his rounds and he comes down to, oh, first we find that Paul meets Jesus. We won't go on to that, but it's very important that Paul enters, Saul enters the picture here and he's converted on the Damascus Road. I should get you to look at it, but I won't. But let's go to scene three. And that is, oh no, scene three is up here, see. Scene four is, Peter. well, first scene three, Peter goes to Joppa. And it actually, let's look at it there. Oh, I didn't write the reference down, but we're in chapter 10. No, eight, nine, okay. Oof. Where are we? We're looking for... Okay, well, it tells us Peter goes down to Joppa, so let's skip that. And then we get to chapter 10. While he's in Joppa, um, they begin to hear about him at, in Caesarea. And a man called Cornelius hears about him. And this is an incredibly important... I guess what I was going to point out to you in the previous one was Peter making his rounds. It says verse 32. That's what you want for... Scene 3, where it says, Peter, you could put in there 932. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, that he came also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. So Peter seems to be doing the rounds of the young churches that had, had just birthed, just like that. People all over the place were beginning to have little Bible studies and prayer meetings and maybe celebrating the Lord's Supper from house to house, and it was pretty chaotic. And Peter was going around encouraging what was happening. And while he's there, uh, a man who's a Gentile hears about Peter down, and, and here's what happens. We're in scene four now. And it says there at Caesarea, God redirects the course of church history. So this is a very important moment. And in this scene, we have Peter and Cornelius. And again, we have Jew and Gentile. The question of what do we do about this Jew-Gentile thing? So look at verse 1 and 2, first of all. It says there was a certain man. Uh, his name was Cornelius. It says that he was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to God. And um, that wasn't what I was looking for. I don't have my proper notes here. Okay, first of all I have there, God gets Peter to Joppa. So Peter leaves the Jerusalem setting and he gets to Joppa. God gets him there. And then God initiates a significant meeting with this man, Cornelius. And so let's look at that in chapter three to, verse 3 to 6 of chapter 10. And Peter saw a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, he was, as he was on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner, 
And the angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, oh, this is Cornelius had this then. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come for a memorial before God. Now send men to God and call for one Simon, whose name is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now, if you go down to verse 9, it says, On the morrow, as these men started on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up unto the house top to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell in a trance and saw heaven open. And a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius knocked, knocked, knocked on the door. They did the eastern thing and knocked on the gate, actually. They do that in Bolivia. Low German people do that. They knock on the gate, not on the door. And the Spirit came and spoke and said, Behold, there's three men waiting for you. Verse 19, Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing. For I have sent them. Praise God. And on the morrow, verse 24, after they entered into, they, they left and entered Caesarea. And Cornelius waited for them and had called together... Cornelius was waiting and he called together his kinsmen and near friends. And it says Peter talked with them and with the many had come together. And as they're talking there, um, we go on and we see that um, uh, in verse 31, Cornelius says, we're all here and we're anxious to hear what God has commanded you. And now look at this in verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth. Brothers and sisters, the light bulb came on. Okay? The lights, okay, brother, thanks. Or have you been waving that for a while? <laughs> uh, of a truth, I perceive that God is no prospector of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. So essentially what we see here, brothers and sisters, is... Where are we here? Oh, let's move this down again. Uh, keep coming, keep coming. We see that God initiates a significant meeting with Cornelius. We see that God prepares Peter's heart for a whole change of direction. We see that God speaks to Peter and says, go, doubting nothing. We see that the light bulb comes on and Peter is able to say, God 
has showed me what he's really intended from, at, from Genesis chapter 1. I just got it. I got it. And then we find that a man, Cornelius, and his whole house are prepared to hear. The Holy Spirit falls on them. And then they go back in scene 5, and we're not going to go there right now. We'll do it tomorrow, okay? Scene 5, we go back, and the whole church gathers together to get their report. And we will just finish that off. Turn to chapter 11. Yeah, no, I'll just leave it for a sec, actually. Chapter 11, and between verses 1 and 8. Here's what it says. Verse 1, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. This was not a synagogue, brothers and sisters. Do you understand this? This was a little group of German Baptists who were together um, doing whatever they do back in those days. And they were seeking God, but they didn't know what that meant. They weren't a part of a synagogue, it seems. Maybe they were, I don't know. But this was only Baptists, only Germans, only Greeks. That has never happened before in the whole history of the world. And God tells Peter, you're to go to those people. Because I've got something in mind. I've got something in mind that's greater than what you could ever ask or think or imagine. And Peter, you're going to be the start of it. Now, you're not going to be around long, Peter, because after about here, you're out of the picture and this guy called Paul's coming. But he doesn't tell him that. Right now, Peter, you are the number one person that I'm using to change the whole course of history. And what happens? Peter rehearsed, or that verse 4, the matter from beginning to end. He told them every detail of all that happened and how the Spirit came and fell upon these people. We'll talk about that the next day. And he said, verse 12, the Spirit bade me go, nothing doubting, and I took six brothers with me to see what would happen. Oh, glory. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. And when they heard, verse 18, these things, they held their peace. It says before this, there had been contention. They held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Brothers and sisters, this is an incredibly significant point in history. And if it wasn't for the book of Acts, we wouldn't know about it. And if this hadn't happened, you wouldn't be sitting here today. Okay. You can shut that off then. We don't have as long left as we should. But do you have any questions? I've just always been thankful that when Peter went to Joppa, he didn't do what uh, Jonah did when he went to Joppa. Get on a boat, eh? When Jonah got there, there was another people that were just as detestable to him as probably the Gentiles were to Peter. Amen. And it 
would have been probably very tempting to run from that. But uh, uh, he did. Thank you. Anything else? The book of Acts, someone told me, you get to preach on such a practical book, and I almost fell over. I thought, I love preaching on practical books, and I'm having a hard time finding the real practical, you know. I mean, uh, it, it, but I find it's an inspiring book. So is there something that has inspired you? Is there something that's touched you and inspired you? Any thought or any connection? We still serve the same God. Still saying the same God. Anything as you've been reading the book of Acts 10 or 15 times in the last few months getting ready that just stood out to you? All power and authority was given to Jesus Christ, and he's given us that authority in his name. Amen. Step on the toad. Step on the toad. Okay. Let's all stand. And I'll, I'll open it up for you again, but lift your foot. Okay, I'm not as good at it. Lift your foot. Come on. Step on that toad. Okay, let's do it again. Step on that toad. Oh, we were out of sync. Okay, at the same time, lift your foot. Okay, who else has something inspiring to share, or something that's inspired them or stuck out to them, jumped off the page at them? Sister, Diane. The verse, and I actually already had it highlighted in my mind, but we went across 1035. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And it just reinforced to me the call to all the world and to every single one of us. And that was always there in the Old Testament, wasn't it? But what did they have over their eyes? Blinders. And the Holy Spirit came to them on the day of Pentecost and even all that time with Jesus they spent and they still didn't see it. And we're just seeing them progressively seeing more and more and more of what God told them right from the beginning. Just like sisters do with their children, right? They, they tell them things and they don't get it. And that's how the early church was. That's how Paul was. That's how Peter was. They weren't these spiritual giants. They didn't start out that way. They started out just like you, sister full of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Another thought? Okay, who would like to pray? Okay, brother. John. Father, we come before you. Just want to thank you for the book of Acts. And thank you for helping us to um, see how we can apply that to our daily step on the toad and take care of things before they um, become big things while they cannot be not um, came into fear but know that you have the power and um, just help us to let that flow through each one of us mm -hmm. um, each and every day 
thank you, Lord. Praise you. Amen. Again, please th pray for me. Bear with me as I have scattered thoughts sometimes. But I, I think you're going to get it. I think you already are getting it. And you'll get it more when you go home. I'm going to ask the brothers to set a table up back there somewhere or make one available. And I'm going to put these sheets with all the answers on them from, from everything of the handouts. And you, I would really encourage that every one of you resources cost a lot of money. Now, you all have computers, so you get them for free, I guess, but uh, it'll make a lot more sense once you get home and start reading Acts if you have some of these tools with you, okay? And I'll also put a, some pictures of my family and different things back there as well. Okay? God bless you.